Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Today's guest is YouTube sensation Austin Evans. Austin has been a tech content creator since 2009, covering the latest news in technology and gaming on both his main channel and secondary channel, This Is. Known for his friendly and approachable style, Austin excels at making the latest tech news exciting to both the layman and the hardcore enthusiast. Whether you're wondering if the new gadget is worth it, looking for the coolest of retro and cutting-edge tech, or shopping for the latest smartphone, you can find it on Austin's channel. So let's dive deeper into Austin's beginning and what the future brings. Welcome to the Perception Podcast, Austin. It's great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So just to get things started, why don't uh, you give us a little bit of background? How did you get involved in the tech and gaming industry? Yeah, so for me, it was early days YouTube stuff. So I started creating content when I was 16, um, you know, kind of that classic, you know, working out of my parents' basement and that whole kind of thing. But for me, it kind of goes back a little bit deeper than that because, you know, from a, a really young age, I was always fascinated by electronics, about tech. Uh, I remember when I was oh, probably like eight or nine years old or something, um, we were like some thrift shop and I was like begging my mom, like, look, there's this old computer for five bucks. Let me buy it and tear it apart. I want to see what's inside. She's like, you're probably gonna electrocute yourself. No way. And like that kind of stuff was always super fascinating to me. So when YouTube started to become a thing, when especially being an actual professional online content creator was uh, not established, but you know, there were the, the beginnings of that kind of thing happening to me, I was like, sign me up. I am all in on this. Like it was something that I just, it fit really well with my passions. And it was a really early stage where things, it, it was the right time, right place kind of thing. What was your, uh, I guess growing up, what was your favorite piece of tech that like blew your mind as far as, you know, like, oh my God, this is going to be like the next big thing. For me, it was more so on the gaming side of things. So mm -hmm. between the Game Boy and later the PlayStation, those were the things that really kind of opened my eyes. Because I mean, before that, we didn't have a lot of tech in the house. We didn't have, you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, a computer or anything until I was a little bit older. So for me, it went from being, you know, growing up as a kid, getting those first games and kind of being like, oh, wow, wait, this is this is something really interesting. Because I remember even as like, you know, I'm probably like six or something. I remember trying to wrap my head around like how a game worked, right? And I remember, I, I remember thinking like, how do they have like every single image that could possibly be, you know, like saved? Like in my head, a game was nothing more than like a billion, you know, images. And as you play the game, it pulls up each individual image and stuff. I'm like, I remember even that at that young age, like being really fascinated by like how it actually worked and wanting to understand it. And as I got older and as I was able to kind of start tinkering and learning and stuff, uh, I still find it fascinating. Maybe not quite as much as I did when I was six, but it's just one of those things. It's just like, it felt like magic. And that was incredibly attractive to me as a kid. I was like, whoa this is cool. What is going on with this? Mm -hmm. So what inspired you to start making YouTube videos? Yeah. So this would have been probably 2008 or so. Um, this is first. So to kind of set the stage, this is when 
Apple had pretty much just brought out the App Store. So this is around like the iPhone 3G and the second generation iPod Touch. And that was the point where, you know, at the time I'm like, you know, 15, 16, I don't have a smartphone. But what I did have is an iPod Touch. And I was incredibly excited for it. And I was, you know, super active in the community, not only in like blogs and whatnot, but also in watching YouTube, which at the time was very, very nascent, right? I mean, the, the people who are actually creating professional content on YouTube was very, very small, but there were a lot of enthusiasts who, you know, maybe had a thousand or 2000 subscribers or something. So I started kind of hanging out with a lot of those guys online, talking with them, kind of, we were sharing back and forth, like neat apps and games since, you know, it was such the wild west where, you know, you have these old school apps like iBeer and stuff. They're just like, Whoa, what is that? And all, like some of the early, early games, like I think it's probably a little before Angry Birds, but some of those games are starting to kind of roll out. So for me, it was one of those things where it was something I was really passionate about. And I'd already kind of dabbled a little bit in YouTube previously, although nothing remotely serious. So when I got really deep into the apps and I had started doing some written reviews, I was like, you know what, maybe I should do some video as well. So a, a good friend of mine who had a couple thousand subscribers at the time kind of helped to encourage me to just start making content and see what happened. And I made a couple of videos and I was just immediately hooked, right? Just even getting, you know, a hundred views or whatever on a video, I think to me was really motivating because, you know, previously I had sort of spent a lot of time writing and writing was something that I really enjoyed, but it's a very solitary process, right? And, you know, you kind of work and work and you make a thing and then maybe you show it to someone or whatever, but it wasn't really a very community driven thing. And so having that instant gratification of creating a piece of content posting it and then almost immediately getting feedback and people liking it and seeing it get views and stuff. I mean, I was, I was hooked immediately. How would you say uh, that your style of video making has evolved um, oh. over the past 13 <laughs> years? Give us a little timeline of, uh, yeah. of things changed up. Oh man. Everything, everything. So, all right. When I started, uh, I did not own a camera of any kind. I had no way to record video. So my videos were screenshots from either, you know, like iPod touch apps or, mm -hmm. you know, downloading photos of a phone or, you know, from an event or whatever online. And then I would just talk about it. Right. So it would basically just be a, basically a glorified slideshow with me being like, so the new Motorola HX is very exciting. And I think it's really good with really good specs. Like it was like so, so bad when you go back and watch some of those early videos, mm -hmm. but I had the big advantage of the fact that no one was really making a lot of content in the tech space back in 2009. It was, it was a very sort of easy space. I mean, if I made a video on a thing, it was almost guaranteed to be top of search. And even though YouTube was nowhere near as big as it was, uh, as it is today, there was still a lot of people searching, you know, a new Motorola phone or a new app or whatever. So for me, it was one of those things where it was fairly easy to get some views and to kind of get a little bit of traction. So from there, um, obviously started to learn how to do everything related to videos since I was very much, uh, uh, amateur, I'll, I'll put it charitably. So some of the things I went through, um, certainly a pretty early focus of the channel was gaming. So focusing on consoles, especially kind of at the end of that, like Xbox 360 PS3 era, um, a lot of content throughout that whole PS4 Xbox one era, where that was the one where I was like, you know, 
actually doing it fully professionally at that point and going to, you know, being at the E3 where they announced those and covering all the updates, everything throughout. Uh, gaming PCs were also a pretty big part of that sort of evolution of the channel where I would really kind of do a lot of PC builds and tutorials. And that was one of those things that really kind of helped to drive an audience because it's, you know, one thing to watch a news video or a review, but it's another thing if you're actually learning how to do something, which of course YouTube, especially back then was like, that was a massive, massive part of it. And so that really kind of helped to grow not only sort of viewers, but really an actual audience who would stick around, who would watch, who would be, oh, I just built your $500 PC. Oh, thank you for teaching me how to do this, this or that, or whatever the case is. So that was one of those real inflection points for me where things started to evolve and evolve really quickly. And it was something that I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is, this is becoming serious. You know, it was already my job at that point, but that was when it really started to kick into a, a level where I was like, oh, I've, I've got something here. Did you get the feeling that people almost expected, like if something came out, I was like, oh, I got to go check out Austin, see what he thinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To a, to a degree. I mean, I was never on the, the, the really hardcore tech review beat. I mean, there are a few years there where most new tech items I would try to have some kind of video on. Um, but, you know, there were certainly other people uh, in the space, people like, you know, MKBHD, um, even people like Linus for a time, who were a little bit more hardcore on the actual reviews. But yeah, for me, it was one of those things where if it was something that was interesting to me, which was most tech, especially back, you know, in the, you know, 2010 to 2015 kind of era, so much exciting was happening. Right. I mean, so much was happening. You know, you yeah. had all kinds of smartphones that were evolving at a rapid pace. You had the beginning of tablets. You had sort of the waning of the handheld consoles, with the, like the Vita and the 3DS. You had, uh, you know, TVs going through, you know, they had the 3D phase, the curved phase. Like there was just a lot of excitement when it came to technology. And so for me, it was like everywhere I looked, stuff was happening at a rapid pace. So for me, it was like, I couldn't keep up with the amount of videos I wanted to make on everything. Whereas today it's a little different where it's much more sort of settled there. There's upgrades and exciting things, but it's, it's, it's not even remotely on the same scale as it was back in back, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Do you have a favorite brand or type of technology that you like to test out and review? You seem to review everything from gaming PCs to phones. Yeah, yeah. I think these days it's probably more so on the gaming side. So the channel today has kind of evolved away from traditional reviews, um, largely. Um, we have sort of, we've built the company in a sort of way where we have other channels now that kind of focus more on that specific like review content. So a lot of what I do today is a little bit more with an entertainment focus um, because what I was finding was that it's fun and exciting to talk about, you know, uh, a new graphics card or a new PC or, or a phone or whatever. And we still do some of that, but the problem that uh, I was having, especially as I had done it for so long, was it really felt like I was doing something almost kind of piggybacking on something else. Like I, the thing that always kind of bothered me was that, say, I can make the world's greatest one plus phone review, right? Not that I did, but uh, imagine I can make the world's greatest uh, one plus phone review. Well, the only people who are going to be interested in that are people who are interested in the one plus that I'm reviewing, right? And that always kind of bothered me a little bit, especially because at that point, it's like you're trying to, you know, you're working with a very small audience size who cares about the thing. And then you're fighting with every other creator who's making a piece of content on that. And so for me, it was one of those things where I wanted to try to make what I wanted to make 
And so that naturally kind of flowed into series such as Mystery Tech, where the crew buy all kinds of manner of weird and interesting tech and gadgets, drop it on the table, and I immediately go, what's this? And I actually go through that first sort of unboxing and sort of exploration of, of whatever product that sort of hits the table. And that's one of those things that I think has become a lot more fun for me because I've been doing this for a while. And I think having content that can stand alone and that can be a little bit more unique than the traditional kind of review stuff, I think has been a, a good move overall. It's definitely not come without its challenges since, you know, if you're just reviewing every phone that comes out, your content schedule is pretty much whatever shows up and, you know, it's, it's straightforward. Whereas now it's like we have to really kind of think about how are we going to do this? How are we going to make an episode two of that, et cetera, et cetera. But it feels good to me. It feels like it's a much sort of more balanced way of doing things. So, so what specific things do you look for when you're reviewing or testing these different products? Oh man, it's all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, one of the things that's always a really simple, easy thing is price, well, price to performance as well as just sort of how it sits in the market, right? So say like uh, on the laptop side, right? You know, a couple years ago, Apple released their M1 MacBooks. And that was one of those things that yeah, she knew it was coming. Yeah, you figure it's probably gonna be pretty good. But when we started testing them and experiencing it, it was like, oh, wow, wait a minute. This MacBook has, you know, all day battery life plus tons of performance, reasonable price. Like that was one of those moments from like, oh, okay, I, I get this. This is really, really impressive, right? And there's a lot of those things that kind of come up, you know, like for, you know, gaming PCs, right? There's always a bigger and better graphics card or CPU or whatever. Those are always interesting. But to me, it's, the, the most exciting thing is almost always like what really pushes the envelope, what really kind of advances either the segment, the, the category overall, the company, whatever the case is. And I've always been really interested in kind of like that sort of not what's out now, but what's about to come out, you know, like for a while VR, I was really excited about um, things like AR nowadays, I think are kind of hitting that sort of point where I think we're going to be seeing a lot more in the fairly near future, but seeing that kind of stuff, like, how does it impact things today? But really almost more so, how is this going to impact the entire industry or world in two years, three years, five years, whatever the case is? That's always what I like to be on. I like to be able to kind of bring people like, hey, this thing's not ready yet, but take a look at this. Imagine how cool it's about to be. Like, that's always a really fun moment for me. Hmm. So, you know, at Perception, we, we craft futuristic user interfaces, futuristic tech, innovative UX design. So we're always thinking about how we could take tech of today and progress it 10, 20 years into the future. When you think about the future of tech and gaming, are there any features or products that you're hoping to see? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, it's got to be way harder for you because, I mean, you're trying to imagine almost kind of a whole cloth kind of what that future might enable. And I think for me, it's always like, oh, I'm imagining what this thing is I'm looking at plus a little bit, right? Like, oh, imagine this, but if it worked better, you know, so it's, it's, I think a lot easier for me in most ways, because it's so, uh, it's so much more iterative than I think what, what you guys are doing, but um, there, there, there's a lot. I mean, I think for a while, I think we all imagined that we'd be using, you know, glass slates and walking around with like some sort of futuristic headset on, or, you know, where, you know, walking around with like magical screens and, and whatnot. And I think, there's still probably an element of that, but I think as we kind of continue to evolve, I still think there's some real sort of benefit to the tactile response. Like, you know, you look at like what, what are in cars, right? I mean, cars are going through this massive shift where everything's going from, you know, pretty much fully analog to digital to now it's like, 
screens everywhere, capacitive buttons everywhere, right? And I think we're actually starting to see some pushback of this, right? Where yes, you can kind of simulate some haptic touch and whatnot on a button or whatever, but it's still not the same as reaching down with a pair of gloves on and twisting a knob when you, know, you want to turn your heat up in the winter or something like that. So for me, it's, I think, about trying to find the right balance between Yes, the future is going to be more and more screens, more and more sort of visual in nature, but also still kind of keeping that kind of tactile real world like, hey, I want to be able to go touch this thing and experience this thing. And I think that especially when you look at, you know, the, the keyboard community, right, where people are massively excited about kind of tweaking and customizing every little element of something like a keyboard, which is, of course, so sort of universally used in, you know, everyday life and you're on your keyboard and in front of your computer, you know, for hours and hours a day. So for me, I think it's going to be about the sort of marriage of like the the digital and the tactile to kind of really give you a true experience. And it's not just the super flashy, neat stuff that might look great in the movie, but it's like, you know, that's never going to happen. Or at least it's going to be very far away before when I can reach out and touch a hologram and it's going to feel exactly like touching a real button. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we're always trying to balance out is what is the, you know, what we call like the technological climate today that audiences can, you know, understand what current technology is capable of. And when we're conceptualizing for a film, we want to consider what the future might be, but not go too far ahead where we'll just lose the audience and all believability. So we want to find that sweet spot that's somewhere between where we are now and some sometime in the distant future and find that point in between that audience can still kind of grasp as possible. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you know, I grew up watching Back to the Future, right? I mean, that was still is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. And when you think about the work that was done in, in Back to the Future Part Two, how much was right? I mean, because that was what, 25 years or so uh, behind the, the time when they actually were, you know, between when they were shooting, when it actually happened. And it's like, you think about the amount of things that were right in that movie. You think about like the 16.9 screens, you think about like the video calls, the faxes and stuff. I mean, I think it's really impressive that, Obviously, I don't think anyone who worked on the movie were expecting flying cars to be super common. I mean, maybe they did. I don't know. But, uh, you know, certain things were a little bit unrealistic. But I think about a movie like that that was, of course, you know, so formative for me and my sort of childhood, but also so, I think, interestingly ahead of its time as far as trying to really kind of nail that balance between something that looks great in a movie, something that really kind of serves the story, but also is something that was, I, I think, impressively realistic with how many things that they got right or they got very close to getting right. So your most viewed video uh, on your channel, I think it was over 25 million views, was uh, Broke vs. Pro Gaming, which was yeah. fun. Uh, when you bought the, uh, the cheapest gaming setup, and I think it was your friend Ken who bought the most expensive one. Yep. Why do you think this, uh, this video blew up uh, so much and became so successful? You know, it, it's funny. YouTube, uh, it's an interesting place. <laughs> it's a very interesting place. But it's like, I mean, I don't know. We've probably made a couple thousand videos at this point. You know, it's been uh, a lot. And it's rare to see something that's super surprising, right? I mean, usually when you post a video, I'll have a pretty good idea. You know, like I know, oh, this is going to be maybe an average performer, which, you know, the vast majority of the videos stay in a fairly consistent range for us. You know, sometimes you have failures, right? Probably more often than I'd like to admit. But also sometimes you have stuff that kind of pops off for a little bit of a weird reason. And those are always the ones that kind of stand out to me. So that Broke versus Pro was not a crazy special video. I don't think there's anything about that video that was truly all that unique besides it was, I think, a pretty good idea 
that uh, was communicated clearly and uh, got picked up all over YouTube, right? I mean, I think that video has gotten, you know, well over you know, probably a couple hundred million impressions at this point, right? Like it has been served mm -hmm. so many times. And the thing is people have landed on the video and enjoyed it and watched it and subscribed and continue to watch more content. So it's like, it's always tough because like, you know, we, we had the opportunity a couple of years ago um, to go up to the Microsoft campus and do a world exclusive on the brand new Xbox, right? We actually got to go up, touch it, feel it, talk with the engineers and launch our video to kind of announce sort of like, hey, here's the first hands-on of the Xbox. Here's what it does. Here's all the specs, all that kind of thing. And that video, I mean, I was completely confident would do super well. I mean, like if I didn't get views on a world exclusive of the brand new generation of Xbox, I should have just quit as a YouTuber immediately, right? So <laughs> some content like that, you know, it's going to hit, right? You don't know if it's going to be a million or 5 million or 10 million, right? But you, you know that that's going to hit, right? But certain content, certain videos have really surprised me over the years. And I'll say 80% of the time, they surprise me in a negative way of like, oh man, I thought that was going to do better. But sometimes, sometimes they really do kind of pop off in a way that's just like, I can't replicate that. I can try, but like, you know what? Sometimes it just works out. The, the stars align and I'm just going to roll with it because uh, mm. the algorithm is a, a mysterious thing. <laughs> yep. What was it like to, uh, to do gaming in uh, zero G's? Oh, so much fun. Okay, so that was a video that we did uh, earlier this year. So it was a thing where, you know, we have a really good relationship with Asus and with AMD. And so we've done a lot of projects with them sort of individually and combined over the years. But it was one of those things where, you know, I had uh, a bucket list of a few things I really wanted to do. One of which was to experience zero gravity. One of which was to, you know, experience like, you know, massive G-forces in like, you know, a plane or a Formula One car or something. And so those are some of the, the ideas that I feel like as a content creator, I always kind of have in the back of my head. So uh, we get a lot of random opportunities to come up, right? Sometimes it's stuff that we kind of pitch to brands or partners, or whatever. Sometimes it's just stuff that just drops out of absolutely nowhere. And this is one of those things where it had been kind of in the back of my head that I wanted to do something zero gravity related, well, however you could actually do it. But, um, and actually up being Asus who reached out and go, hey, we've got this idea. We've got this new laptop that is sort of space themed. And we were thinking about trying to take one of these uh, zero G flights. So it's kind of the known as, you know, the vomit comet or something, but uh, they basically had already reached out to that company and they were like, yeah, sure. You know, you could, you could charter the plane and, you know, shoot a whole video. That was totally fine. So he reached out to me. He was like, hey, would you want to do this thing? I was like, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. So, it was a little intimidating. Um, so the way that these flights typically work is that, you know, you get on, it's a, it was a converted uh, Boeing 727, which I believe is the last airworthy one in the world. Um, so they like modified it slightly, but essentially the idea is, is that like, you know, there are maybe 20 seats in the back and then the rest of the plane is all just kind of padded walls and everything. And so they kind of take off from an airport from around the world. We end up taking off from Long Beach and they kind of go out over the ocean and then they essentially do a series of parabolas. So they'll essentially they'll kind of take off at a pretty steep angle where you'll be experiencing like 1.5 G's or so kind of get up to the top. And essentially what it does is it kind of throws you up and catches you. Right. So they kind of do this very precise arc where they kind of level off. And then they kind of start aiming down and then they kind of catch you. So essentially you experience anywhere from 30 to 45 seconds of true weightlessness. And it was wild because like the experience was crazy, right? But the thing is, we didn't have a do-over. Uh, the plane, as you might imagine, is incredibly expensive to charter for a video shoot. So we had, I think, 
we were up there for maybe a little over an hour. And I think we had a total of, oh, I'm going to forget. I think it was maybe 10 parabolas, maybe 11 or something. It was, it was not a lot of shots, right? And each one's only 20 or 30 seconds. So essentially we had the laptop. We had to shoot a whole piece of content on the laptop. We had to nail the specs. I, th there was a lot of things going on. And as soon as we went up, as soon as we started to kind of to float, I've got to start hitting my lines, right? But almost immediately, I start talking and I start floating one way and my camera op flies the other direction, completely lost immediately. I was like, oh no, this is fun. Mind you, I'm having a great time, you know, floating upside down, you know, all this kind of stuff. But it was, it was a stressful challenge in like the best kind of way because it was so much fun. It was such a cool experience. But it's one of those things where, uh, normally, you know, when you do a shoot like this, you can, you can do it again. You can, you know, another take one more time, whatever. It's always great, but it, it's doable, right? You can kind of work around it. But with this, it was like, I am flying the opposite direction of the camera. I need to wait until we sort of catch the, you know, that once the, the plane ends the parabola, everyone has to reset, float again, and try again. And there were so few opportunities. So the fact that we got the video done was incredibly exciting. I was so happy to actually have that. But um, stressful, I think, would be a good word to describe it. <laughs> um, I got a question for you because I know uh, I believe you're a, you're an F one uh, racing fan, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, how did you? Uh, um, I don't know if you know this, but we were we were huge automotive enthusiasts here. Uh, we worked on the GMC Hummer EV, um, oh, nice. the 2017 Ford GT. We designed all the uh, you know inside the car experiences with the digital gauge clusters. Um, and we do that for a lot of the cars that are coming out in the future. Those are the only two I can mention, unfortunately. But um, but uh, with F1 racing, what what race would you uh, say has been your favorite to, to react to? And um, I don't know, what, oh. what's what's the latest one that you've uh, that you've seen that you're like, man, that was uh, that was a very, very good race. Or there was one that was just like very disappointing. Yeah, I mean, Abu Dhabi last year, the championship decider was, I, I mean, come on, how do you argue with it coming down to the last lap to determine the championship, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know yeah. if, I don't know if we're ever in our lifetime going to see a, a race and a championship come down that finely to the wire. So I think that was definitely one of those moments where, uh, foul play or not, uh, a little bit debatable, <laughs> but I, I think that was one of those, it was just like unbelievable moments where like you're there and I'll never forget experiencing it. Um, but there's been some good stuff this year too. I mean, I know that, uh, not to spoil if someone hasn't caught up, but there may or may not be a world champion right now who's been officially confirmed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like seeing kind of the evolution of formula one has been really exciting. Um, so I kind of grew up, uh, you know, my dad was a huge Michael Schumacher fan. So I always remember sort of as uh, when I was a little bit younger, always watching those red Ferraris, just you know, winning and winning and winning and winning. And mm -hmm. it was, wasn't until a little bit later that I kind of really picked up my own interest in it. Cause I've always been a massive fan of cars, right? Absolutely love, love cars. Uh, but that's one of those things that was one of those early things, you know, it was like cars and tech for me. I, I was six years old and I said everything I liked in life and it never changed and cars and tech were right up there. But uh, Formula One, I think definitely over the last few years, thanks to the success of Drive to Survive, has really driven, I think, an enormous amount of interest, especially over here in the States. And so I think it's really exciting to see the sport grow. We've got so many more F1 races in the U.S. now, and I'm, I'm really, I, I, I love it. I think it's just, it's the pinnacle of motorsport in so many ways. And while, yes, I think it can be a little silly sometimes, and yeah, I think it's a little maybe too pompous in some senses, but I mean, I think it's just, 
it's incredible to see the speeds, the capability of the vehicles. And I'm incredibly jealous of you guys for getting to work on some of these, uh, some, some of these projects. Uh, I could, I will say, uh, well, I've not actually driven the Hummer. I've seen some of the UI work there. And if you guys did that, kudos to you. Cause man, that looks absolutely incredible. I don't think I've ever seen something like that in a vehicle in the past. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, that was uh, one of our favorite projects for sure. And uh, appreciate the kind words. Um, but uh, I was going to ask you about, are you, are you a Max fan or Lewis fan? Man, you have a favorite? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, it's hard not to appreciate Max, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, I think especially now, you know, with the sort of form he's had over the last couple of years, I think he is well positioned to win many more championships, you know, over the next three, four, five, however many years, right? I think mm -hmm. it's hard to argue with just how relentless, how skilled, how just he's like the perfect package in a way that I just don't think we see very often in the sport. Um, it's also hard not to love Lewis, right? I mean, I think he's a, a true sportsman. I think he's been so successful and so consistently for so long. And especially with the sort of the, the adversity that he sort of always seems like he's running into from one side or another that I think it's always... I've got a lot of respect for him. Um, and then there's such a good crop of sort of younger drivers coming up now. You know, you think about yeah. Leclerc, you think about Norris, you think about even like Alex Albon. I mean, there's so many kind of drivers who are so talented who are coming up through their ranks, right? As you see, you know, the drivers like, you know, Seb who's retiring and you've got Alonzo who's going to race until he's 70 or whatever. Like, I think it's just really exciting to kind of see that sort of mix between kind of like the old guard, you've got the newer squad who's coming in and, and doing super well. And then sort of everyone else trying to find their sort of footing. I, it's, it's, it's a good time. I mean, there's obviously churn. There's always kind of drivers coming and going all the time, right? There's nothing new there. But I think yeah. it uh, does feel like a very interesting time where there's really that stark split between kind of the, the old school and the new school and seeing kind of at least we're getting a few years of those kind of sides kind of actually being able to battle it out. I think it's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I think the only thing missing now is uh, getting these guys like Top Gun names, you know, like Goose. <laughs> <laughs> Maverick. Like I feel like they should have it on their helmet. It's a lot easier to 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 like follow them around when it's just right on the helmet and be like, oh, there he is. No kidding. Um, no kidding. But that would be cool because I always thought uh, you know, uh Nico Hulkenberg would be the greatest like Iceman. He reminded me of Iceman and yeah. Uh, well, the didn't day. they call Kimmy? They called Kimmy Iceman for a while, didn't they? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, he was a fun one. He's got some great quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> he's uh, he's some good ones. Um, all right. Well, it was, uh, I mean, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time out to, uh, be on the podcast. Um, we really enjoy all the, uh, the, uh, exciting, um, you know, series that you have on YouTube. You know, we, we're big fans of the mystery tech one for sure. Oh, um, thank you. Before we and, let uh, you go, I just wanted to, I just wanted to get your advice on, you know, someone who's interested in starting their own YouTube channel advice yeah. for current creators to get their subscribers up i mean we're always looking for advice as well with our own youtube channel what uh what can you share with us oh man it's different i think it has evolved a lot over the last couple of years and i think short form while it's something that i think is a it's not a replacement for long form right i, I don't think that's the case at all right and uh, you know when i say short form i'm talking you know youtube shorts tiktok and whatnot versus long form which is, you know traditional you know six ten fifteen minute youtube videos right but i think if you are a new creator and you want to grow an audience you start with short form i think that is a hundred percent the move 
it's not a one-to-one correlation. And I still think there are some challenges in trying to convert that short form audience into a long form one, but it is a lot easier with the discoverability of, you know, YouTube shorts and TikTok and you know, Instagram reels and whatnot. It is far more possible to grow a large audience. And you can always try to convert that versus doing it kind of the old fashioned way, which works, but it's just slog. You've got to really put in the time and the consistency to try to get any kind of real growth there. So that I think is the number one thing that if you are a, an aspiring creator, or if you're a creator who's looking to kind of really grow the audience, I think short form should be part of your strategy, not the whole thing, right? I, I don't think it, I mean, obviously there are very successful pure short form creators, but I think if you want to be a real, real sort of force in, in the online space, I think you kind of need to have a multi-prong approach. You need to be doing short form for sure. Almost kind of like the top of the funnel. You need to do long form, which I think is the most sort of valuable um, sort of, obviously I'm biased, but I think that's the sort of most valuable kind of content you can be making. And then you should consider once you do have that kind of audience, you've kind of checked those boxes of doing something that you guys have done here with the podcast. I do think having some kind of more longer form discussion-based kind of uh, medium is important to have that sort of, connection with the fans and the audience and you know it allows you to express all the things you might not have another avenue for so i really think that the next generation of really successful creators are going to have all three of these kind of types of content under their portfolio and that's what's really going to make them kind of that sort of ultimate triple threat so yeah if you're thinking about creating content i'd say start with short form work your way to long form get yourself a podcast but do that in a way where each step has kind of been successful. Don't, don't just try to do them all from day one and hope it, it blows up. I think you got to really kind of build the audience, get that audience watching long form, eventually do podcast, and then you kind of build that sort of empire. But yeah, it would definitely be my recommendation as of right now, because I think things have changed a lot over the last couple of years as for, for online creators. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Austin. It was a pleasure having you on the Perception Podcast. And uh, just to give us a quick uh, uh, roundup of where everybody can find you, all your channels and all your uh, social media platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you, first of all, so much for having me. And I'm incredibly excited to see some of the stuff that you guys are going to be working on in the future. You got to maybe uh, let, let me know when some stuff goes live, maybe. But um, yeah, so sure. uh, you can find me uh, online. Uh, the main channel is just youtube.com slash Austin Evans. That's kind of the, the home of pretty much everything for me on the internet. But um, you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Austin, not Duncan. And uh, we have a couple of other channels uh, on YouTube as well, including This Is, which is a little bit more of a kind of podcasty, kind of longer form discussion channel. And then we have a newer channel called Thank You, which is where we make all of our sort of more hardcore tech reviews. So yeah, that's, uh, that's generally where to find me. But uh, I'm incredibly excited to see where things are going in the future because I just, I, I, I'm an optimistic kind of guy, but there's so much that's happening in the online space right now that I, it's, it's such a, it's such a fun time. It really reminds me of those older days where just it's evolving and changing and growing so quickly. I'm very, very happy to be a part of it and can't wait to see where things go. Well, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. And I hope you guys have a good one. Thanks, Thanks Austin. And that wraps up another episode of the perception podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com contact. Lastly, 
you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode. Thank you.